Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of combat sports and every MMA's favorite commentator, the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Not everyone's favorite commentary, but there's yes. too much competition there. Um, too many guys that have been in that business a lot longer than me. Well, not as long as I've been in boxing. You look like everyone's favorite Saturday night. I saw you taking pictures. With, you look like you had a meet and greet going at the uh, at the fights on uh, in Vegas this weekend. Well, these fighters, these warriors, all of them, the former ones, the, the current ones, they're not only savages, obviously, in their realm and, and just so developed, talented, so crafted at what they do, but they're, they're just as strong in the other realm, the human realm, of being good people. It's amazing. They classy, good human beings, uh, intelligent and um, caring. Uh, as I was leaving, as I was leaving the facility at the uh, T-Mobile, there, Volkanovski's team was leaving, and some of, in a van, some of their coaches jumped out, and they were actually. I met the train on the way out, and he came up to me, started talking to me. He just couldn't be, just couldn't be more of a gentleman, and uh, talking about the fight actually talking about how he watches my instructional videos on dynamic striking which was really really just nice to hear uh it was humbling to hear it actually that they they watched those and spent some time with them as i said just gracious good special people as special outside as they are inside uh their workplace and then as i'm leaving the van with duplessis was pulling out they stopped they got out and we started talking the duplessis came over my god the guy's a monster i mean <laughs> i, I guy, couldn't right? yeah i couldn't tell watching it you know live i couldn't tell from our suite how big he was until i saw him in person but again he's a monster we'll break his fight down in a moment but he's a monster as a in a good way as far as a classy gentleman and um, him and his trainer, I met them, talking to them. Again, they they just couldn't be better people. They couldn't be more gracious, more humble. Um, just just a pleasure. Uh, and, and you see more and more of that when you meet and a lot of the boxers too, of course. But we're talking about the UFC fighters right now. Just a pleasure to meet them. Uh, it, it was a great atmosphere. Uh, and then to work with the former ones and the current ones too, Dominic Cruz and, you know, and, and DC is there and Rogue and all them, but to work with John Anik and Megan O'Leary and... Uh, Megan O'Leary. O'Leary and, all, yeah, all of... Just just all of them. Uh, now Gilbert Melendez, who I know I trained for one day many years ago in the gym... Uh, when he had asked me in San Francisco to train him for a day when I was there visiting my son. Uh, he's just a gentleman. He adds to that team. He's tremendous. Michael Bisping, uh, like I said, Dominic Cruz, uh, just just all of them. Uh, and, and, then, and then the other people like Ian Parker, who works their betting handicap, and he does, really does an impressive job. There was a lot of upsets, and he had some of them picked. Uh, and then... Uh, Michael Evans, uh, or Michael Eves, I should say, 
uh, with ESPN, worked with him, of course, many times. And he was in the studio. Actually, I did some work with him for ABC Saturday morning. So just... and and. It just adds to the event. Yeah, you have great fights inside, but to have great people bringing those fights to you that know what they're doing, that are knowledgeable, that are humble, that are all the, you know, all the characteristics I just drew out there. It just makes it a more special night. And, I, saw um, I saw you taking pictures too with the great Jake Shields. Yeah, Jake Shields. I mean, another gentleman, another, you know, great fighter, warrior. And, uh, to talk to him and he was asking if he could hit me up every once in a while to bounce some striking ideas and buy he's a trainer now and he does a heck of a job uh training these guys he's you know he's very successful he's very good at what he does uh he took his not everyone can take their skills from competing to teaching not everyone could do that it's That's one right. thing to know something it's another thing to be able to actually articulate it to somebody else in a way that they you know, they can learn and that you can be a teacher. Uh, it's a whole different uh, craft. I would be remiss if I didn't mention my friend John Joseph, lead singer of the Cro-Mags heavy metal band, who's really close with Jake Shields. He saw the picture of you and uh, with Jake and sent me a note, and it was nice. I saw Jake talking to you, but I didn't want to interrupt. But uh, it was just, excellent. No, I mean, all of it was nice. And listen, it was nice that I could have you guys uh, there with me uh as our guests you and you and rob yeah the great chart thank you to charlie monahan from espn they took such good care of us thank you charlie it was unbelievable espn the whole team the food the suite it was fantastic it was great to be there with rob great to see you in your element teddy thank you to everyone that made it possible no you've been there before we've had you there before but it was nice to have you there again and, you know, I'm just happy that through the years now we've been doing this show, you've been able to meet these people and befriend some of them that have yeah. become your friends, some of them, like Dustin Poirier and stuff. So I'm, I'm just glad that through doing this show with me that you've been able to have access to this world and, and to meet these people. It's uh, been incredible. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to share it with people. It only makes it better. Uh, and then the best was having my son and his my daughter-in-law there, his wife, it was the anniversary, so they went out earlier than they came and spent the night with me at the fights. It was great to have them. And the great Charlie, just he's like my brother, uh, my younger brother, of course. I'm a bit older than him. But, um, and to take care of all that. And then to spend two days in Vegas with my grandson and my son, where I spent quality time with him uh, running around, you know, to, to all the different uh, spots. We went downtown Vegas, old Vegas. A lot of people don't go there where they have the Children's Museum and there's a lot of things for the kids to do. So we, we, had, a, we had a great time there. And, and what an event. I mean, listen, I'm a boxing guy, but boxing has taken us a, a back seat to UFC in the ratings because, first of all, look at the... They don't only put on a main event. They, they, the cold feature, the next, the undercard. I mean, everything could the be early a main prelims, event. The fight, Teddy, the everything fight started Ken, like everything could Everything could represent a main event in in any other sport. It really could. It's that kind of level. Hundred percent. That kind of level. That kind of quality, and that kind of competitiveness, and and that's what boxing misses. You know, week to week, they they 
all they want to do is you you got the separate power brokers there's four or five big promoters in the game they got their sugar daddy their network and they just want to build up their stars with cannon fodder really you know at the peril of the audience and at the peril of the sport where they're not really building a reason to be interested in the sport uh the the way that people have been and the people should be and Every once in a while, they throw you a bone. They put on a big fight, like we're going to get Spence and, and we're going to get Crawford. That's a big one. But too few and far between having those kind of fights. You know, week in and week out, you got Dana White presenting just just drama. I mean, he's it's, it's like he's putting a, a new novel together, a new movie together that that's you know tops in the box office that that people want to go and see it's it's just it's consistent and and listen people get mad well you're a boxing guy you should be i'm i'm a boxing guy and i'm telling them get off your freaking rear ends and and see what they're doing and understand that a little bit but the problem but ken you know what the real problem is they don't care about the brand see dana white has to care about the brand he's the guy who runs the whole thing he has to care about the whole sport the whole brand and he's i get it it's easier when you're in charge of it but these promoters don't care about the brand they only care about with their network their deal and getting their fighters undefeated uh as you know with as little resistance as possible and that doesn't bode well for the brand that doesn't bode well for the sport that doesn't bode well for the fans um and and again the just the magnitude of that event uh, from top to bottom, names to and and it's not just the name. It's a, it's what I said earlier. It's the same formula boxing used in the eighties. You had great fighters fighting each other, so you had great ratings. You got had everybody involved in the sport. You had you had the Rand fighting Leonard. You had you know Hagler. You you had the light heavyweights with 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 um uh, with Franklin um Eddie Mustafa Muhammad. You had. Uh, Matthew Matthew Saad Muhammad. yeah Matthew Saad Muhammad sorry. You, you had him no sorry you had him fighting everyone Jerry the Bull Martin uh, Dwight Kwawi you had all these great light heavyweights fighting each other Yaki Lopez there's a name uh, a blast from the past you had all <laughs> yep. these great fighters fighting each other and then you had the welterweights with Lennon with Hearns with Duran with Pinnell Whitaker with Aaron Pryor as a junior welterweight uh, I mean it was incredible. Why? Yeah, you had talent, but they were fighting each other. And that's what that's what the UFC does. That's the formula. But Teddy, it's not just a it's not just a great matchups. Even Rob and I were talking about it. even the production value was unbelievable. But oh, Dana tremendous. White said it before. He said every promoter runs every big boxing show like a going out of business sale. Everything, 90% of the shit is like cut rate. It's just like, how can we get this done looking the best but costing the least? Where the UFC is like What's the best production we can put on? Uh, new tech lights. Well, that not only that, you expensive. know what else? Everything was incredible. And it, and they always got a packed crowd. And and you get the boxing crowds too, but not not, not like as this. consistently. Not with this consistently. Well, sometimes, but I mean consistently. Not, every not with UFC. The yeah, every they'll sell U- out the fight nights. Every UFC fight is is just got a crowd. It's got an electricity to it. You know, it's not that casino crowd that's 
that's really there's a difference where it's a more sterile crowd. That's right. Where you know there's not a there's not a there's not a a passion. There's not a uh, invested interest in the fighters. It's the casino crowd where all the big tickets are comped to like big gamblers. Where the UFC is like full of passion. And, and, and that, that's right. And that's celebs. cold. Donald that's cold. Trump that's a there, cold crowd because fight. they're yes. there because they got a free ticket and because they're gonna have a few drinks. They're gonna go out with their friends. They're gonna go, but it's different. Like we just said, where you have these guys who are invested in these fighters, uh, in the identity of these fighters, and that are there backing them. Uh, it, it's tremendous. And then you got Donald Trump there. I mean, just uh, it's uh, you know, of course that Dana has a relationship with him, but. Again, just the enormity of the event. And then uh, they all that matters, the reason we can talk about this, is they pull it off. At the end of the day, you know, it's not like they line up all these fireworks and then they go to light them and then they go, pss, pss, and they fall down. <laughs> they, they, they all go they actually, at the same time. <laughs> they take off. They actually exactly. take off. At the, end, <laughs> at the end of the night, it's executed with... with with these great fights in a ring, it's, you know, the the payoff is there. Um, I think this might have been the best UFC show, one of the best that I've ever seen, top to bottom. There were a couple of fights where I said to Rob, ah, let's go take a break and move around a little. I think this fight's going to stink. And we st stay there, and I'm like, holy shit, this might be the best fight of the night. And then the next one's even better. Every fight, top to bottom, that we saw while we were there was crazy oh, it was exciting. incredible. And it was NBA summer week, so there were NBA players there, too. Um my Twitter team, as usual, Ian and Brandon and Rob, they, you know, just unbelievable. They they got up all my tweets, which did really well, big numbers. Um, and, you know, as I said, just the classy, the classiness of all these, these people that are involved, the fighters, um, it, it's... It's really a pleasure. I mean, like I said, you're not only, you know, it's like when you go to a, a good restaurant. You go to a good restaurant, yeah, you want good food. So you go to the UFC, you get good fights. But you also want good service. You also want to feel good. You want to feel the atmosphere. You want to, and, and you get that too. You get service. You get service with a smile. You get good people. And, and when you're listening to the commentary, you can trust it. You you can trust it. It's not it's not over the top. <laughs> it's not somebody howling for their meal, you know, to to make the fans think that it's better than it is. No, no, it's real. It's legitimate. It speaks for itself. So, uh, anyway, that's. I mean, that was the good news. The bad news was coming home because my flight was <laughs> delayed nine hours. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I got home. Uh, early in the morning, uh, by the time I get in, and all I can tell you is that um, I was I was watching Ennis the tape of Ennis's fight for you for the, for our for our people at five o'clock in the morning. That's all I can tell you because I knew I I knew once I went to sleep I'd get up and do the show and that would be the end of it. So I said let me at five in the morning let me watch the Ennis fight, which of course I didn't get to watch being in Vegas with you doing the work we were doing. But so I got to watch that for our friends to make sure that we could at least touch on that uh, you know, that talented fighter. Obviously it turned out to be a one sided fight, but when we get to that, we'll touch on that because what what I don't think will come out of that is 
his opponent wasn't bad. A lot of people are probably going to say, oh, he just, you know, he had another one of these, uh, like Teddy talks about, raw meat thrown at him. Only became raw meat because of his talent. He had a solid guy that, yeah, he was a little slow of feet. He was predictable. There's no doubt about that. And the speed difference was very evident. But this guy could punch uh, good enough. This guy knew how to fight. This guy was tough, like I just said. He had a hell of a chin. Uh, if he was in there with a less talented guy, this guy would have been able to have a little bit of success. So uh, it speaks to the it speaks to the talent level of of Ennis, quite frankly. And I I yeah. just figure I'd throw that in real quick because I know my our fans get mad at me. They say, "Oh, you're just talking UFC." Well, UFC has kind of put themselves in the front of the line putting, you know, better fights on uh, week to week. But I I, we, I cover the, all the box and everything, and I give it the respect that it, it deserves and 50 years of my life. So it's ne I'm never going to walk away from it. I'm never going to not appreciate it. Uh, and, of course, when we have the... When we have the Crawford-Spence fight, we'll be all over that, covering that. that we'll have that up next week, uh, an episode on that, because I'm going to Ireland uh, for my my very good friend and one of the attorneys for my foundation, been an attorney along with David Berlin and my daughter for years, pro bono, uh, helping people for free. Of course, that's what you're supposed to do uh, when you're privileged enough and blessed enough to be able to do it. He does it. Uh, Keith Sullivan, he's getting married. He met a nice, what do they say, Ken? A nice Irish lass, uh, lassie, <laughs> a, a nice Irish lassie uh, over there. Uh, he's a beautiful person. His wife, is, is his fiance, soon-to-be wife, is a beautiful person. So me and my wife are flying to Ireland next week. So we will, we will have an episode before we go on the... Crawford uh, Spence fight, breaking that down, and then a couple days later next week we we'll have the fight plan up because you're flying into New York for your summer vacation with your family, and you will take a day out of that to meet me at the Trinity Gym where the great Martin Snow is the proprietor in Manhattan, and we will do the fight plan. We will do an episode from there, as I said, for next week, and you will bring your your prodigy son uh, who's going to be an MMA champion or UFC champion if he chooses to be uh, he's doing great with the jiu-jitsu and I'm going to give him a little boxing lesson when you bring him to the gym so that'll be fun too yeah uh, I can't wait to see him when I watch when I watch him shadow boxing now getting ready for his jiu-jitsu it always makes me laugh because even though he hasn't had any training he's out there trying every day doing his punches but uh yeah I'm still in Vegas couldn't get a flight out yesterday hence the uh different background today but uh shout out to the, the tweet team Ian Mackey and Brennan Wood um want to make sure they get the recognition like you I said make sure Brennan's last what's the matter you got I know you did Oh. I didn't want to say anything, but you called him Brandon, and it's Brennan Wood. Oh, so Brennan, I'm no sorry. problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hey, I'm trying to help, I'm trying if to I'm help nothing, you, you're attacking if me. I'm, if I'm if I'm nothing, you you have to be attacked sometimes, Ken. You have to be but to slow I'm you ready. down just a just a I'm little ready. bit, just to slow you down a little bit. But let me tell you, those. If nothing else, I'm consistent with 
my mispronunciation of of, of, of words. Course. I'm, I'm consistent. We and you know what? I'm glad you picked it up. I want you to pick up all my mistakes. You don't always do that. I'm glad you picked that up. I try to up. do it discreetly. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be the guy that's constantly No, no, no. I'm people. glad you... Because pe- people... I mean, there was one I guess I missed. I guess we both missed it, to be quite honest. But I guess I missed one last week. I'm trying to remember... Um, I can't remember which which one it was, and you know, I was falling and I was looking for a rope from you, and you know there was no rope. There was no rope. I'm trying. There was no. And then and then the fans took the rope that was supposed to be put there by you to pull me up. And what do you think they? Where were? And hung me. They hung us both. They hung us both. Now look who's getting hung out. Me. it's all, it's all love. It's all love, I guess. <laughs> I, uh, I, I guess, I guess. I love so. the ones that pick up on every mistake rather than pointing out like. Customato used point. to tell me. Customato, I would drive cuz around sometimes up in Catskill for the seven, eight years I was up there, and I'd be driving around and some idiot would, you know, the normal stuff. They cut you off or something, and I. I go to look to, you know, I, I was 19, 20 years old and I'm looking like an idiot to to pull the guy over, right? And and Cus, yeah. Cus would make me pull over, stop, and lecture me for like 10 minutes and say, listen, do you want to have a life? I said, yeah. <laughs> you want to have a career? Yeah. Or do you want this to be your career? What? Chasing after all the idiots that are going to, during the course of a day, are going to do something like that or give you the finger or, or whatever that are going to get you angry. Do you want that to be your career? Because if you want that to be your career and you want to fight every one of these idiots every time they do something idiotic, you know what? By the end of the day, you're not going to be able to do anything else because it's going to take up your whole time, your whole day, and at, at the end of the day, you're going to be dragging your arms on the side like this. They're going to be hanging on because you're going to be so tired from throwing so many punches. You're, 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 you're not even going to be able to pick up your arms to have dinner because that's how tired you're because that's what you're going to be doing. That will be what your commitment to life is is that what you want your commitment 24 7 to be i say all right cuz can i can i freaking can we can we drive now i mean i get it all right i i get it and you know what i did finally get it he he was he was right i always use the movie analogies in my life when i can and it's kind of like that scene from the godfather you know i always try to remind myself of that and where uh where the, the the old mob boss, the old Jewish mob boss, uh, Hyman Roth, uh, was talking to Michael, and Michael was asking him something uh, about a guy that they put a contract, they put a hit out on, and he asked him about it, what he felt about it, and Hyman Roth looked up at him and said, small potatoes. And that's, and, and that's how I look at this now. When, when somebody does something or says something or, you know, out of hatred, out of, out of jealousy, out of whatever, whatever it is, there's a, hum, there's a long list of, you know, human weaknesses uh, that can attack you out there uh, in, the, in the world. And I just, I think about that. I think about cause. 
that I don't want my arms to drag at the side of my body because I'm so tired, you know, doing that stupid stuff. And I think about small potatoes. It's small potatoes. Yep. Move yep. on. Move on to the bigger. Move on to the meat. And and let's, let's go to the meat. Before we get to the meet, Jerron Boots Ennis, like you said, he moves to 31-0, and knocks out Roymond Villa in, via in the uh, 10th round, breaks his nose, smashes him up pretty good, and then calls for the winner of Spence Crawford just quickly. What do you think of Boots' per- performance, and uh, would you give him any chance against the winner of Spence Crawford? 31-0 and as a pro, like you would say, if you don't know how to fight yeah. now, go sell the battalion ices on the corner. It's time to step up. I think he's right to call for one of those guys. Yeah, I mean, of course. No, no, it's time. Listen, I think he's ready to fight anyone in uh, in the world. Anyone, including the two top guys you just mentioned, Crawford and Spencer, get the winner probably, or at least you would hope so. I, He's a complete package. First of all, he's a very big welterweight, kind of like a Spence, but he's a big welterweight. But he fights more like Crawford, where he's very dimensional. He can control range. He can counterpunch. He can fight inside, outside. Um, he's got good instincts. He times shots. He not own, he's real solid, and he's buttoned up technically, fundamentally. Uh, you know, every once in a while, I make a mistake where you can touch him like anybody, where he'll pose for a picture for a second. Uh, but I think when he's with the top, top guys, it'll click in where that fear factor, and I don't mean fear in a negative way, I mean in a positive way, that, that reality factor where he can't afford not to cross his T or dot his I will take, will f- will kind of take over and he won't make those little mistakes where he'll pose once in a while, pull back straight once in a while with his hands low, where maybe you could step with him. I think those things will be cleaned up um, when he's in there for that big moment. But right now, he's as good as anybody. He, like I said, he, he can fight inside, outside, he can count, he can set traps, he times you with shots, he knows when to throw, he knows what punch to throw at the right time. Um, he's got good vision, he sees everything, he's calm in an uncalm environment, and he's got great ability, you know, great hand speed, he's, he's got good punching power, and he, he fought a guy, and, and I like him, I, li- I like him as, he's not over the top with his bravado, or, you know, some of these kids get carried away, he, he's, he's much more is much more palatable where he, I'm not saying he's completely humble, but humble enough where, you know, he's, he comes across and presents himself really in a, in a way where you like to back him. You like to see him do good. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys with the talent, you want to watch him, but it doesn't mean you would root for him. I think he's a kid that you could also probably want to root for too, which is a plus. And, as I said, he he fought an opponent where people say, well, one of the guys, Teddy, talks about hand-picked, you know, cannon fodder, you know, raw meat. It turned out to be that way at the end. But this guy, yeah, he was predictable. Yeah, his feet were too slow. His hands not as fast. But this guy's a pretty solid guy that he fought that could punch pretty good, that could throw punches at the right time, very good shin, very game. Uh knew what he was doing in the ring, just wasn't good enough. Uh, Ennis was just, you know, just a couple couple levels higher. I mean, just too talented and, and too complete in all the areas that a fighter wants to be. And 
at the end of the day, he broke down. He methodically broke down Villa. Uh, I, I thought that maybe the corner could have stopped it a round or two earlier, Ken, um, because it got to the point where I know you never want to give up hope, but it was getting pretty much close to that. And the kid, I recognize body language in my business. The kid was so game, but he was getting broken down. And that's where the corner has to come in and know when to stop it before the kid gets forced to do something that will never, maybe he'll never recover from, which is to give in, to submit. This kid wasn't going to, didn't want to give in, but he was getting close to that place where he was being broken down physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. He was being broken down so badly, so thoroughly, that he was getting close to that place where he might have been ready to do something unthinkable for a real fighter, which is to quit or to submit, to give in. And that's where it's up to the corner when it gets past that no return point where you really fighter can't really, doesn't have a chance. I know you always think he's got a puncher's chance, but with this level fight at that point after eight rounds, nine rounds, uh, you kind of knew that he probably didn't, and and you have to read his body language. You gotta you gotta protect the kid. You gotta save him from getting to that place because if he gets to that place, he himself will be damaged in a different way than a physical way, in an emotional way, a way that he will never overcome potentially. He may never overcome that, and he got he got to the brink of that, not quite, but he got to the brink of that, and um. Of course, you know, Ennis finished it with the uppercut and with the combinations, and that that was the end of it. But um, again, I, I just, you got to be cognizant of those things as a trainer. It's got to be part of your responsibility, and you got to look out for that, and you got to look out for the fighter in that kind of way and protect him uh, from, from himself in that kind of way. And maybe it could have been stopped a little early, but uh, terrific performance by Ennis at the end of the day. Uh, you know, just just spectacular. Uh, you know, he was showing off a little bit. Uh, he he knew that again. He he knew that. You know, he he had a kind of like a spawn partner after a while, where you could practice things. You could do. You would practice go to the side, practice looking a little slick. You know, uh, putting on a little bit of a show. When you're in complete control like that, and you know you are, you can you know. You can do those things, uh, and and he got the fight got to the point where he was doing those things. Yep. All right. <clears throat> Thanks for that. Let's jump over to the UFC and get into some of the uh, fantastic fights there. Um, the last fight on the prelims: Robbie Lawler in his retirement fight. In seemingly tough with Nico Price. Funny, as they were coming out, I said to Rob, I said, man, this is a tough going away gift for uh, Robbie Lawler. You better say, I hope you said it fast because that's how quick it was. uh... (laughs) Exactly. He, uh, he, he, they didn't give him any gift. That's for sure. Nico Price is tough. But, you know, as the fight started and it only lasted 38 seconds, which coincidentally, this first fight on the main card, it lasted exactly 38 seconds too. Bo Nichols dispatched the uh, guy who was way overmatched. But both fights, exactly 38 seconds. As the fight started, I said to Rob, man, Nico Price looks very lackadaisical and like aloof, almost like he's trying to get into the fight. He doesn't realize Robbie Lawler's coming out like a house on fire. And that's exactly what he did. 
He grabbed him in the clinch, hit him with a bunch of dirty boxing shot styles, like quick in, in, in close fighting, hit him on the temple, hit him on the chin, hit him on the temple, hit him on the chin and knocked him out cold. Vicious stoppage for Robbie Lawler. Great uh, going away gift. Uh, incredibly emotional presentation for him afterwards. He was emotional. The crowd seemed emotional. It was excellent. What a way to wrap up the prelims and uh, get ready for the main card. But how'd you like that performance from Robbie Lawler? I like the expertise on the inside. Um, yeah, he got rid of the guy. But it's like when Tyson was getting rid of guys. We used to say, Tyson used to say this too, um, because we would talk about it when he was young, me and Carson. Uh, Tyson has a tremendous uh, cerebralness to him about boxing, a tremendous IQ with boxing. If he got rid of a guy fast, which he had a habit of doing quite a bit, uh, people would kind of downplay it. Well, you know, uh, it wasn't much of a test. It wasn't this one. And he would say, and we would say, well, only because of what we did, only because of what I did, me and Tyson speaking about what he would say, only because I knew what to do and I executed. Otherwise, it might not have been uh, as easy looking as it was. And the other thing that we would always say is, it's not just that you got the guy out of there. It's how you get the guy out of there, the expertise you use to get him out of there. And that's what was impressive to me. Yeah, it was 38 seconds, but the way he did it, he got in close, short punches, and his combination was different. Usually, you'll see a guy throw the uppercut first and then go up top. He went up top first with the left hand, and it was an educated left hand where he doubled and tripled it up where he went up top with the left and then came up with the uppercut, a combination I teach in the gym, quite frankly. And you don't see it that often. It's not, it's not the common combination. The common one is what I said, the uppercut first and then up top. This one was up top first to get his attention up top and then come from a direction he didn't expect. And that's why it was so impactful. That's why it was so devastating because he went up top and then he came with the uppercut, not expected, and, and then went back up top and finished the fight. And so I was impressed with the way he did it. Not that it was 38 seconds because that's easy to foo-foo. Uh, you know, it was 30. The guy went, no, it's the execution, the way he did it. He did it like, he did it like a, like a guy of that level should do it and you would hope would do it. And um, so that was impressive. And, and, you know, just his, the way he handled the moment was impressive. Uh, as, as you said, the, just the emotion in the arena uh, to, to see this iconic figure, this legendary fighter uh, go out uh, and have his moment. Uh, the, and Rogan always handles it the right way to give them their moment. Uh, it, it was a, just, it was, the whole thing was nice. It was, it was a great way to, to lead into the main, the main card and get the arena going. You know, you want to get the arena going. It's, it's kind of like <laughs> the Rolling Stones back in the day when they were coming. You wanted that band, that, that warm-up band 
I'm not making Robbie Lolo a warm-up band by any means, but you wanted that first band to get the crowd into it, to to get them ready. And that, you know, that first band winds up being a legendary band, but they're warming it up for the Rolling Stones. Kind of, to me, that's what Robbie Lolo did. You know, he came in there and he warmed up the crowd. He got the crowd to a to a fever pitch uh, for what was going to come, and and it was it was perfect. It it really was perfect. It was great. It was great, and um, it was it was just you know it was another part of uh, you know when when you put a great puzzle together and at the end the puzzle looks beautiful. You know, there's all pieces you got to fit together. Dana White, his people at UFC, quite frankly, that's what they do week in and week out. They put a beautiful puzzle together. They put all the right pieces in there. They know exactly which ones, this one, that one. They put them in, throw a little bow nickel in there, you know, a little spice, throw him in there too. And and listen, before the fans start saying something, <laughs> yeah, UFC, not much. But they, every once in a while, have their cannon fodder, too. And Bo Nickel uh, probably received some raw meat. But then but he again, got that, but, he got but, that but, guy but a quick minute. notice, quick, quick notice. Oh, again, whether it's an excuse, an explanation for it, but it was quick notice, last second, literally last second, you know. And the thing that was interesting about that, we know what a phenom he is. You know, he's, he's like your son's going to be, right? He's a phenom on the mat. He's a phenom with the wrestling. Uh, so everybody figured he would get a submission. But he wanted to show another demand. And listen, I know before the fans said he had the right opponent to do that with. I get it. But I think that was kind of, that was not an accident that he looked, the guy came at him wide, the guy came at Bo Nickel wide, you know, crude with some big punches trying to catch him, figuring maybe I'll catch him because I know I can't beat him on the mat, right? I can't beat him on the floor, so let me see if I can catch him with the striking. He's not known for the striking. And then Bo Nickel got an opportunity to show that audience that he knows how to strike too. I'm not saying he's a striker like some of these guys. Uh, he's still going to, that's a work in progress. He's going to have to work at that to get even better at that. But against this guy, he gave him the opportunity to show that yeah, he can throw his hands as well as he can get on the floor and um, submit you. I thought that was That's I thought right. that was a nice little uh, a nice little piece to the puzzle. For sure. And uh, jumping right into the next one, Dan Hooker. Uh, my God, did Dan Hooker look good? <laughs> he got kicked. I was happy it for did. him. You know, Rob, uh, Very. Ken, I was just happy for him. He's taken so much punishment. He's been in so many, so many tough fights there's there's obviously miles uh you know there's miles on that odometer of his um he's been but he's always he's he's taken a lot of punishment he's been in a lot of tough fights he's had a lot of tough times uh recently uh in fights but it's always with top guys you know yep. it's, it's always with top guys and to see him to see him get a win in a very tough with a real tough guy turner uh, a very talented, tough guy to to get a win, and to earn it the way he earned it, to take that kick. I mean, you don't see too many guys take a kick to the head and still stand it. Not to only take that, that Teddy, kick. after the first round, I thought Jalen Turner was going to beat the brakes off him. I thought that Jalen Turner, and I heard you talking about Michael to Michael Bisman and Dominic Cruz about this. I thought that 
Jalen Turner was going to take him apart. And you called it perfectly. Dan Hooker just was a little bit tougher. And he outlasted him. And he took the initial onslaught and stayed strong in his belief and conviction and stuck to the game plan. And he edged out like the toughest fight that you could imagine. Like, I think Jalen Turner was probably arguably a better fighter, but he wasn't as tough or as smart. And And, and maybe more talented and maybe more talented. All those tough fights he's been in, he's been there. You know what I mean? This wasn't like rarefied air to him. First time that he went to the top of the mountain and the air got thin and, and he panicked. He, 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 has breathed that thin air before. He understands what it feels like in his lungs. And so, you know, he doesn't panic. And to to the point that I was making with them, sometimes it's complicated, sometimes it's pretty simplistic. Sometimes a guy out-toughs a guy. And I think part of it, Turner's tough too, don't get me wrong, but I think he out-toughed him a little bit. Uh, again, it served him that he's been in those kind of fights even though he's taking some damage and it it takes some tread off the tires. But I think that experience, knowing that he can handle, as I said earlier, that rarefied air, knowing he's been there, knowing that he that he's gotten through uh with, with top guys, I think that served him when when he had that first round that you're talking about. And uh and whatever the throughout the fight, because it was a firefight, it was a gunfight. Um and I think that he tried to change things up a little to his credit, and I want to give him that credit. He, he used his legs to move laterally. I think he was trying to be more patient. He was trying to have a defensive, uh, a defensive sort of mode uh, to him, a defensive posture a little bit where he's not known for that, where he's moving, trying to keep Turner off balance, and also by moving, trying to pick the right spot for his offense where it wasn't as one-dimensional, where it wasn't as predictable, um, where, you know, his offense, you know, his, could be more productive uh, by picking spots and, and instead of just coming straight in the front door the whole time, which he did at the end. He backed up, you know, he backed up Turner when he had to. But I think early on you saw the effort <laughs> to make those adjustments, make those changes because of the punishment he's taken in so many fights and be a little more selective, be a little, you know, smarter about it, if you will. Speaking of punishment, he also broke his right arm in that fight. Yeah, and you know what I loved about that? I, I didn't love him breaking his arm, but what I loved about that was afterwards, it speaks to the the nature of the beast, or what kind of the you know legitimate tough guys, legitimate. I mean, the the proof is in the pudding. Obviously, fights were brought. Doesn't say anything about it. Just gets the job done, and then afterwards, Joe Rogan does his job, gives him the opportunity to talk about it. Uh, you know, you 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 broke your arm. You might have broke your arm. What do you think? He, you know what he says? He says, that was a scratch. Really, that's all you need. And and that's not like these guys that it's false bravado. That's real. He Because obviously they, they live by that code. I mean, yeah, it's a scratch. I mean, and, and he backs it up by, by never, you know, just by the way he, he performs every time he gets in that place. You know, this isn't just him... Uh, trying to pose for the camera and and put a good soundbite out there. This is him living by those words. He lives, he backs up those words. That is him. So I thought that he tried a different uh, approach, tried to adjust a little bit and be a little bit, as I said, (laughs) more selective. 
at the end, he was hooker. You know, he went to get the guy. And he, to the point you brought up, he he broke down Turner a little bit. But to Turner's credit, I thought he was going to completely conquer Turner at a certain point where he was breaking him down. You can see he was breaking him down mentally and physically. But Turner didn't let himself get broken down. Turner made a choice to grab a hold of himself and and stay in it. Um, it looked like he was being pushed down that rabbit hole. It really did by Hooker. That Hooker had him and he was going to kind of flush him down that hole and make him maybe even submit. But he didn't. Uh, Turner, Turner will get better from this fight, I think, uh, where he didn't give in. So at the end, it was a tremendous fight. Just, again, a, a great fight, but a great moment to see this veteran hooker who's been in there with all the beasts uh, be able to pull out and, again, to, to, to take that head kick and survive that and then come back and do what he did uh, against a very talented fighter uh it it was it, it was awesome uh to see that uh the only negative you hate to go to a negative but again at it was 2 to 1 i would say for for hooker and then you got one judge that has it the opposite way for turner and we'll get to another bad judge when it gets to the main event but it, this bad judging raises its ugly head every once in a while. But the thing that gets me is when it's the same judge. Let's get rid of them. If, if they, <laughs> exactly. No, really. And, and you know, know, if it's... The, I don't want to... You know, Ken, because if, if it's a different one, okay, we deal with that one. But it shouldn't be the same one. And this was Adelaide Bird. She's infamous. I mean, she's... um. Well, you know Adelaide Bird. She's got a long history in MMA, right? She infamous. MMA, inf well, she used boxing. to be an MMA... MMA player, then she was, you know, involved heavily in the MMA sport her whole life, right? Is that the yeah. one, or is that the one who was a boxing judge that you just said, no, hey, I know. go you're, judge this UFC fight, maybe it'll catch being up. Facetious. What the hell are they doing? Of and course. They, that's the problem. What does she know about MMA? What's her background? Well, the, what does she know? No, but I would say, what does she know about boxing? I mean, this is one exactly. that uh, she she didn't know about boxing, nothing, so they figure, okay, let it do MMA. You're right, to your point. Uh, you know, she she was infamous with the first Canelo Triple G fight where they made it a draw. But come on, uh, the fact uh, that Triple she's G, still working Triple, is and she had it big for Canelo. Athletic commission. At, well, no, doing? the athletic commission is a joke uh, in Nevada. They're a joke. They should get rid of them too. They're a joke. They do nothing. You know what they did? They kept it quiet for about two years after that horrendous performance with with Canelo and Triple G. If my memory serves me correct, but. It wasn't anything real. It was just to wait for the smoke to settle. That's all they were doing for for the for the outrage to go away, to simmer down a little bit about what she did. And then they brought her back, and she's in there with all these fights, and she's doing her, you know, her bad work again, damaging fighters' careers, uh, hurting the sport, hurting the brand, hurting the audience uh, when they see these bad, you know, these bad decisions uh, and bad. Uh, I mean, thankfully, uh, they got it right because two other judges added two to one. But she always gets it wrong. And again, Joe Rogan years ago railed against her. I mean, he went ballistic uh, in a UFC fight that she judged where obviously she got it wrong. He went nuts on her. And yet, the problem is, 
I shouldn't be saying her name. If if it was a bad I judge, know. what's gonna happen? I should be saying, oh, this judge named um, you know, Robert um, Robert uh, Thompson. You know, it shouldn't be. Adelaide Bird. It shouldn't be the same name. She shouldn't be given those opportunities to continue to do damage to to whether it's UFC, whether it's MMA, whether it's boxing. There should be an accountability to just not allow these judges to judge. Look, if you have too many accidents in the car, they take your license away, Ken. If, if, yep. Because you could kill somebody. You could you hurt somebody. You're crashing into freaking stores and <laughs> trees and, you know, cafes. And what do they do? They say, you can't have a license no more. I'm sorry. You can't drive no more. And take... You should do the. It's not complicated. You should take their license away so they can't do any more damage. Yep. They're doing 100%. damage. Yep, hundred. Uh, anyway, Hooker, they got it. Got they yeah. got it right in the, in the end. Great win for Dan Hooker. And again, the best part. Yes, it was what took place in the octagon. Yes, it was what they gave us. How they taught us how to behave when it's hard to behave in a in a good way, in a special way, in a strong way. It's hard to be strong sometimes. It's hard to be yep. good. And, and they show us that you can find a way to behave that way, whether it's in there, whether it's in our life. Whether it's they, they teach us. They teach us that you can. It's your choice how you behave, no matter how tough the circumstance, no matter what. It's your choice. It's not the circumstance's choice. It's not the other guy's choice. It's your choice of how you behave, what you do, what you, what you allow yourself to do. It's yeah. always in your control until you say it's not. And That's right. They, they teach us that. And what was brilliant was afterwards to see that picture up on Twitter or Facebook, whatever the heck it was up on, that, that picture that Rob sent me. I think Rob sent it to me, and I'm so glad he did, where it was reminiscent of the first Arturo Gatti the late, great Arturo Gatti, God bless him. He's not with us anymore. But Gatti and Mickey Ward, where after that unbelievable fight, the first one, they're, they're together in a hospital in the emergency room, and they're visiting each other's room. Um, and there's a camaraderie. There's a respect. Yeah. There's a love. After, after trying to take each other out, you know, two hours earlier. And you saw the same thing in this picture here with Hooker and Turner. You saw them together. You saw that respect, that mutual respect, that care for each other, that humanness after they were trying to obliterate each other a couple hours earlier. And, and you saw that picture of them visiting each other in the hospital. They were both in the hospital. And you saw Hooker's transformation where it looked like he dyed his hair. But <laughs> exactly. you know what I mean? But it, it was yeah. dyed. It was dyed. It was dyed, it was dyed red. white. By the end, it was dyed pink. Well, yeah, it was pink, but it was reddish because it was from his blood. Yep. Uh, it was from his blood. And here they are in that hospital. They don't care about anything. They don't care about what they were doing two hours ago. <laughs> there's no anger. There's no hate. There's no animosity of any kind. There, there's no thought about, you know, ethnicity, race, religion, nothing. Only mutual respect for each other and love. 
brotherhood, brotherhood, real brotherhood, humanity at that moment for the two of them because of the journey they just took each other on. And, and that's where the respect comes, where they're appreciating each other for what each other did for each other. And people think I'm crazy, but they've tried to kill each other. They were trying to knock the guy's block off. They were trying, <laughs> But they were also taking each other to a place they couldn't have gone alone. You know, Ken? That's, yep. that's the magic yeah. of it. They were taking each other to a place that in some ways... They may never have been before, and they couldn't have gone there if they weren't taken there by each other, where they could find out more about themselves, where they, yep. could, they, yeah. they could learn that they could be more than they ever thought they could be before they got in the ring that night, in the octagon that night. And so they're thanking each other. They're, they're appreciating that journey, knowing what it was, knowing how difficult and how scary it was, and they're basically... They don't have to verbalize it, but they're basically thanking each other for giving each other a chance to be spectacular, to, to, to go to a higher place than they had been before, to a place that, again, will serve them in their life, that, that they know they have the capacity to be better, to find a way when it's hard to find a way, to draw within yourself. And you can't do that alone. You, you need a partner to do it. You need someone to do that with you. And again, people say, yeah, but Teddy, they were, they were damaging each other. They were doing their job. They were trying to conquer. They were trying to triumph for themselves, for their families. You know, they were trying to win. But yeah. by doing it, they became better. They, they, they became... They, they got to a higher place. And you could see that, you, you could just see they were sharing that. And I'll tell you, when you see that, you realize there's no racism in this world. I know people's eyebrows are going to go up when they hear me say that. But yeah, you got idiots out there that, that have their problems. But in reality, when it comes down to it, if you leave people and you lead people to what they are, to their common denominator. They are human. There's a brotherhood of humanity there. And if you lead them to that, to just that, and you strip away everything else, at the end of the day, everyone, there, there is no race, there is no color. There, there's, there's only another person, another person that... If you look at it the right way, they can make you better. They can make you better. They, we're better together than we are separate. And, and yep. that's the beauty of this sport, of, of, of all competitions in life, that they, and no matter what it is that you might be battling out there, that you're better together because even if you're on different sides, which these two men were, you are trying to get to the same place. You're trying to get to a place to f get an answer, to find out how good can I be. And, and to me, I'll finish it by saying it, they're explorers. They're, they're as much an explorer as a Christopher Columbus, where why did Christopher Columbus go out there uh, on the ocean? Because he wanted to see what was there. He wanted to see, is it really, is the world really flat? And, 
and he took the gamble that he could fall off the cliff, that, that he might never come back. And that's what these guys are celebrating when you see that picture, that they both took the gamble to find out what was there. And they found out. And um, I, I just applaud them for that. I ask all of us to learn from that, to wrap your head around that a little bit, that, you know, as much as we think we're different, we're all the same. We are all yeah. the, we're all trying to get to the same place. And we can get there together a lot better than we can get there divided. Anyway, for what it's worth, I just thought, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I, I just wanted to make that, I just thought it was important. I, I know it's important to break down the fights and talk about how the guys got it done, but I think it's also important to talk about how to be a human being. That's all. Not yeah, that I have no. the answers. I don't have the answers, but I know when I see it, I know what I'm looking at. I know what I'm, I, I know what I'm recognizing. I'm recognizing humanness just just plain unadulterated humanness and and again there are no differences there's no race there's no religion <laughs> there's nothing there, there's just a commonality what's the commonality we are human we are trying to be better and um i, I add one thing i met turner's coach in the airport while I was delayed for nine freaking hours, and he was delayed for nine hours too. And another, again, just another example of good people, just a good, solid human being, his coach. And, um, you know, it, it was obviously he does a good job. It was, it was nice to be able to talk to him. Um, that was one of the pluses about being delayed for nine freaking hours is that you do get to meet a couple. <laughs> I even got to meet the great Fred Sternberg. Can you believe it? He was coming back from oh, an wow. event in Vegas. He was doing an event. You know, he's the great PR man, the best one in the business. Yeah. And he was coming back. And I've, you know, I've, I was like, ah, you, you get it easy. You're going to Denver. You're going to go home. I, I'm here all day, right? I get home, yeah. I land finally at like three in the morning, whatever, uh, and he's still there. He was delayed nine oh. hours. And go, they, oh. Let me tell you something. Going to Denver can always be a problem. They, they got some tricky weather over there uh, in, the, in the Rockies or whatever the hell they are. That's why Warren Zevon wrote a song called Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. <laughs> well, let's get into the next one. Dreykus Duplissi's gets a second-round knockout over Robert Bobby Knuckles Whitaker. Shocking. Uh, I was very shocked. I thought Whitaker was going to beat him up. And, uh, my God, Duplissis gave it to him good. Wow. What a performance. What would you think? Along the lines of what you touched on, Duplissis, first of all, he's so big and strong. Um, as I said, when he came up to me after the fight to say hello, I, I was struck by really how big he is. He, I also, I always talk about how you can separate guys sometimes. Some guys have the neon talent. Some guys have the quiet ones. It's not one area they do something great, but it's a lot of areas they do something very good. And they have talents that maybe don't jump out at you, don't scream at you like power and speed. You know, those things scream at you. They get your attention right away. But the quiet talents are so important, like dependability, consistency, reliability, you know, 
mental toughness, um, and and being technically buttoned up, being solid in all areas. Maybe not great in one area, but solid in all, all areas. That was Whitaker. <laughs> he had the quiet talents. He was solid in all areas. Supposed to be much more buttoned up than Duplessis. And Duplessis had the neon talents. Big, strong, explosive, <laughs> um, dangerous. And, and still, still an unknown quality to him because, you know, he was... He had he was on a seven fight win streak, which is very helpful because you know you got that confidence, you you got that belief that you're not going to lose, and that's very important, and that only helps. That's that's like covering the good things you have with glue to really make them even tighter. And he was undefeated, five and zero going in <laughs> in the un, in the UFC. So again, had not learned how to lose yet uh, in that domain. And he, the more obvious talents, like I said, big, strong, that jumps out. But the favorite was Whitaker because he was more buttoned up. He was supposed to be the guy that didn't make mistakes and he would take mistakes. He would take advantage of the mistakes most people thought can with Duplessis um, making a mistake maybe, you know, with all that talent. Uh, leaving an opening where Whit- Whitaker would capitalize on it, uh, where you know he was he used that experience with with all the great experience that he's got. He would use that, and again, he would wind up coming out on top. That's why he was the favorite because he didn't make mistakes. The interesting angle on this, and the interesting reality of this fight was it was the opposite. Duplessis, yeah, he was the guy with the neon talents, but he was also the guy that was solid technically. And the guy who wound up making a mistake was the guy that was supposed to win because of taking advantage of a mistake. And he lost because he made the mistake and Duplessis took advantage of it and used that neon talent, but matched that neon talent with the the technical rudiments with the cerebralness, with the solid, you know, performance in those in the p- fundamentals in those areas. Again, Whitaker was supposed to be the guy making Duplessis take make a mistake, not let him use all that great talent and be able to get the better of him. What happens? Whitaker leads, I always say in the gym, I never let a fighter, and it was very subtle, where a lot of guys didn't pick up on it, because it never got completed. I always say, do, I, I don't let a fighter lead with a left hook in the gym, never. I jump in the ring, I stop it. Uh, because when you leave with the left hook in front, you leave a door open, a window open, for something straight to beat you. Because even though I didn't go that far in school, I learned that. Straight beats round. Yeah, I got that lesson down. I, 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 that, that's not difficult. <laughs> so Whitaker started, he made a mistake. He started to throw a left hook. And again, it wasn't obvious. It was subtle because he was just starting it. If, if, it got, if it got all the way through, 
then people would have said, oh, look, he started to troll. Yeah, I hurt my hand. I broke my hand uh, in the park with my grandchildren. Uh, if you're looking and wondering, I broke my fingers because I, I was doing a race in the park two weeks ago with my grandchildren. And what happened? We're running. I'm in stride. I'm feel, doing pretty good. I think I can beat this five-year-old and this three-year-old in a race. You know, I'm being like Ken right out. And what happens? It becomes a hurdle. It becomes a hurdle. And I'm not used to hurdles. My three-year-old granddaughter shoots in front of me. I don't want to run her over, God forbid. I jump over. My fingers go into the ground. I got I got broken fingers, but thank God. And, and banged up ribs. But you know what? I'm here. More importantly, my granddaughter's okay. So I had to explain because people would say, what happened to you? Teddy cracks off. Teddy came out of retirement? No. No, thank God. It, it, it wasn't it wasn't anything like that but getting back i never let him lead with a left now if he led with the left hook and it got that far it would have been obvious oh he was leading with a punch he got caught he was just starting it but here's here is where the genius comes in with duplessis has something special and he's got a great coach and i met him after the fights as i said where he he recognized that. He instinctually, innately recognized that he was going to start that hook. And he was in the southpaw position. Duplessis switches righty and lefty really well. So he was in the southpaw stance. And he did something you don't see. You see it once in a while. Mike Tyson did it a couple of times. A couple of heavyweights have done it. You see it once in a while where a jab hurts somebody, drops somebody, hurts somebody, sometimes even knocks someone out. You don't think of that. You think of the power punches, not a jab. <laughs> but if it's timed right, if it's thrown right, if you sit on it right, if your legs are under you right, you can have a power jab. And he sat on it. He had the right technique. But more importantly, he recognized. He was calm enough in an uncommon environment, <laughs> him being duplessis, where he recognized and he felt instincts you gotta have those instincts to be special where Whitaker started to he was starting to unload the hook and from the southpaw position bang he shot the straight jab from his shoulder with his legs under him he caught Whitaker and he hurt Whitaker and then he knew what to do he didn't he didn't hesitate he jumped on him he used his size he used those neon talents his strength his quickness, his power to go and finish the fight. But he couldn't have used those abilities if he didn't have the other abilities that be technically solid, be able to recognize and have the cerebral uh, component where he was able to execute such a move at such an instant because... He did recognize it. He was calm enough. So that was the whole night for me that I thought was really interesting was, yeah, when we were handicapping the fight and I was doing it with the guys on ABC and everything, we're talking about, well, Duplessis, you know, bigger, stronger, explosive, hasn't been tested quite at the level that Whitaker has. <laughs> um, again, an unknown quality to him, but we found out that it's not unknown anymore. He's good. We found that out. And we thought Whitaker would be, you know, he'd be the better because he he wouldn't make a mistake. Duplessis somewhere along the line 
would not use that great talent the right way and Whitaker would take advantage. And I know I'm repeating it, but that's what was so crazy about the fight. Not just that Duplessis was more powerful, but that at the end of the day, he was the guy that took advantage of the buttoned-up guy, the solid guy, technically. He took advantage of his mistake. And um, he's got a pretty good package there. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that he could be around for a while. I, I don't know if he could beat Izzy. Uh, they had to stand off uh, afterwards to set up that fight, obviously to start to package that, to start to promote that. They had to stand off in the ring. Um, and Izzy's great with that stuff. And Izzy's a, he's a generational talent. And, and he's together mentally and everything. And he's been through, he's been through the fire now, having laws uh, to Pereira and then coming back and be so now he's been really forged you know he he's he he's been he's been solidified now in certain areas he always had the talent but now mentally by going through that fire where Adesanya lost and then had to come back and face the devil so to speak you know what I mean face the boogeyman that had beaten him you know, and in kickboxing, and then of course beat him and took his title to come back and and rectify that, get that right. He, if there was anything missing, it's not missing anymore. You know, uh, he he was a good sword before. You know, good sword, but now that sword has been put into the molten uh, steel. You know, it, it's it's been it's been dipped into that molten steel, and now it's. Maybe it's unbreakable. Maybe it's unbreakable now. <laughs> I don't know. But it would. when I saw Duplessis and that part of the package, because I've seen a lot of strong guys. You know, uh, Ernie Shavers could punch and knock walls down with the right hand in boxing, but he never won a heavyweight title. You know, uh, Mike Tyson could punch. He won the heavyweight because he coupled it with some of the other elements with technique, you know, obviously with being calm in an uncommon environment, with being confident, believing at that point in his life <laughs> that he couldn't be beat. Uh, but if if he was just a good puncher and he didn't have the technique, he didn't know how to make you miss and then, you know, capitalize on that miss, he, he wouldn't have been Mike Tyson. Uh, so it's not enough just to have the power. And Duplessis showed me he's got more than just the power more than just the talent, that he's got those other things that it tells me he could be around for a while, that he could maybe pull off other things that maybe we didn't we didn't know that he could pull off, obviously, and, and we might find out that he can, even more so as he goes down the road. And I'm not saying he's going to beat Adesanya, right? I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying... He is an interesting guy. He is uh, because of that. So, um, and like I said, he's a gentleman. He's a class act. Uh, as, of course, Adesanya, they don't get better than Adesanya. Adesanya is more outspoken. He'll say things that people don't like. I get it, but I like it because I know what he is. He says things for different reasons. He tells the truth. <laughs> um, but at the end, I like that. But at the end of the day, I know what the core of Adesanya is.
He cares about people. He does. He cares about people. He, he's, he's not just a, you know, a selfish warrior. He's a selfless warrior. And, and a lot of these guys are. And I think that only makes them better warriors, to be quite frank. But um, again, uh, it was really... It was really, it was really an interesting fight to see the way, you know, the way Duplessis beat such a. Because going into this, I was saying, I think everybody was that he's the second best middleweight in the world behind Adesanya, Whitaker. I mean, he and in his last fight with Adesanya, you know, he got he got knocked out in his first fight, but in his and, and there was a little something there. In his first fight, Whitaker, he had been sick for a year before that. And I, I don't know if he was really able to get up to 100% for that fight without Asanya. But in the second fight without Asanya, that was close. Whitaker made that. And why did he make it a close fight? Adesanya has more natural talent. But why did he make it such a close fight? Because he's so solid. He's so technically good mentally, technically, and that was a close fight without a sign. And this fight with Duplessis wasn't close um, because he coupled, as I've been saying, the talent with all those other elements. So very impressed. Very, very impressed. Yeah, well, let's get into the next one. Title fight, Comain, Alexander uh, Pantoja, Gets the split decision over Brandon Moreno. What a freaking fight. I don't even know where to begin. It was just all action from the opening bell to the final bell. I thought Brandon Moreno did enough to get the win. I wanted to see him win. But, man, listen to Pantoja's sp- um, speech was after that, the was fight. That, let me ask you a question, a fair question. And you're very upfront and honest, and I love it. He's been on our show a couple of times, and we love him. He's he's a, he's a you know, he, he's a a friend of ours and I love Marino and and how can you not love him? I could love Pantoja I just don't know him to the extent I know Marino the kind of human being is the kind of person he is the little baby face assassin he, he's great and um, you know like I said is, is part of you feeling that a little bit of your heart a little bit of your heart a, because we're human yeah a little Probably. bit because uh, at the end of the day I I was rooting for Marino. Uh, I, I, I have full disclosure. I'm not afraid to say that. We know him the way we don't know the other guy. I respect the other guy, and I think he's a great human being from what I saw after the fight. Just tremendous <laughs> family man, and it was a beautiful scene. And not, there was a lot of beautiful scenes after the fight <laughs> um, the other night, which, which made it even more special. But I was just wondering if maybe there was an element of, you know, your heart that had you kind of rooting for Marino and therefore thinking or believing or wanting to believe that he won. And it was close. It was very close. That's probably the case. And like you said, after listening to Pantoja's speech and his interview with Rogan afterwards, it's hard not to have the same kind of admiration yeah, as we have for Moreno. What a freaking story about growing Beautiful. up with a single mom and then basically shouting out the dad like for Beautiful. probably for not being around. It was just unbelievably emotional. Beautiful. And he was emotional. And then to see all his kids come in the ring, it was Beautiful. incredible. But what did you think of about. the fight? That was an action. I mean, that is that's as good as a fight can get. I mean, there was everything. Action, groundwork, stand up, 
kicks, punches. Oh, God, it was incredible. Yeah, I mean, going in, Pedroza, of course, Marino's the champ. So he's got that. You know, that you don't want to give up the title. You're the champ. You can't get beat. But, and that's powerful. But how powerful is two other things before we get to the physical and technical fundamental side. It's very powerful being a champ, having a title, and again, knowing and feeling like a champion. But how powerful is it wanting to have that title for years, hungry for that title, wanting to take that title yourself, and knowing that you've beaten this guy, yeah, five years ago, and and another time a few years before that, he's beaten him twice. The real the real fight that he beat him the uh was five years ago. The you know, the the actual one that's um you know that's that that is more more of a sanctioned uh win, if you will. Uh the other one was uh, I don't know if it was in a different sort of realm, but he did beat him twice, Pentolja. So that is important to recognize that in his mind, he could beat him again. In his mind, more importantly, <laughs> Marino can't beat him. Uh, that he has that, that, that confidence. And you know what? Guys change. Like when Dustin, our friend Dustin Poirier, who's great, and he's got a big fight coming up later this month with Gagey. It's going to be unbelievable. Um, and I wish I could be there. Because ESPN wanted me to be there in Utah to do that fight. But unfortunately, that's not because it's on my birthday. The reason I can't be there, it is on my birthday. <laughs> I would have been there in Utah. But I have to be up in Catskill. My former fighters, what was it, 45 years ago, right? My fighters, these kids that were my kids up there, they were like my kids that I trained. Tyson, of course, came from that gym too with me. But... All these kids, hundreds of them, that I had trained over the years, a group of them got together. It's the Custom Auto Gym, rightfully so. But they got together and they petitioned they petitioned the village to add my name to it. And they're going to have that ceremony uh, on that day. So obviously, I, I had to be there. And I'll be there with my family and I appreciate it very much. <laughs> so I, I had to say no to ESPN, to Charlie, to go to Utah, and I, I would have liked to be there, not just to come to the fight, but just to be there to, to support, even though I'd be in a professional role, I couldn't show a bias, but I would be in my heart supporting Dustin. And and look, I, I love Gagey too. He's a warrior just like Dustin, and that's why it's going to be an incredible fight because they are of the same cloth. Uh, it's a rematch. Of course, Dustin won the first time. It was a war and this will probably be no different <laughs> because that's what they do. But when he fought McGregor the first time, Dustin wasn't the same fighter. He wasn't mature enough. He wasn't developed enough. He wasn't seasoned enough, experienced enough. And five years later in the rematch, he was a different person. And I said that before the fight. He was a different animal. And he beat McGregor because he was different. He was mature. He was experienced. Uh, he was more complete in all those areas, mentally, physically, technically. Marino was a different guy now too, better. So you could have looked at it like, yeah, Pantoja beat him 
five years ago, but Marino's not the same guy. But sometimes also, I've seen it in boxing. A guy has a style that has his number. And I'm not saying it was all that, but a style and a belief that has the guy's number where he just, he, he's going to win. Where he feels he's going to win and it it gives him an advantage where, again, it's he's got his number. Now, I'm not saying he had Marino's number, but Pantoja felt that. And that's all you need to do. And then you got to go in there and prove it. Very close fight. Tremendous fight. Uh, and like I said, a lot of variables going on there because of the history. Uh, Pantoja, very... He was explosive early. Um, he, he's a fast starter. He came out of the gate fast. That's what he does. He explodes out of the gate. Marino, you know, handled it, survived it. Uh, probably lost the first round. Um, I thought that... Uh, I thought that uh, he evened it up in the second round that Marino grabbed the second round. Like I said, a great fight, well-rounded. Those first two rounds was reminiscent of Hearns Hagler all over again, you know. And I had it 1-1 after two, as I just said. The second round, Marino used his jab well, uh, I thought, to win that round. Uh, real, All of them were close rounds. Uh, he scored to the body, played some shots uh, in that second round. And then it was a very close third round. It was a war. And it came down to what I said when I opened it up. <laughs> One wanted the title. The other didn't want to give it up. And Cus used to always say to me, Cus Tomato would always say, Teddy, you got to work hard to get the title. And it's very hard. Very hard. But it's just as hard to keep it. Because then you got the other guys with the same aspirations the same feelings, the same, you know, uh, commitment to getting what you have. You got to, now you have that, that bullseye on your back. <laughs> they, they want what you have. And if you drop off emotionally, get satisfied, <laughs> just a notch, just a little notch at all. You know, you fall asleep at the wheel just for a second. That's all it takes because these guys are hunting for you. You know, that like they say, now you're the hunted. You're not the hunter anymore. There's something to be said about that. And it was all playing out there. One had the title. He, he didn't want to give it up. The other one had to get it. Didn't want to get it. Had to get it. His family was there. <laughs> he waited all these years for it. He had to get it. It was tremendous theater. Um, I thought Pantoja did some good countering in spots too. And at the end of the day, I had a 2-2 going into the fifth and final round. And it came down to who won the last round or who would win the last round, which a title fight should come down to that when possible. That's, that's, that's what a title fight should come down to. Who takes the title round? Who takes that? And the pace and the rhythm from a went from a firefight, uh, a a complete shootout, 
you know, where it was a gun battle, where it changed to a hostage situation. What do I mean by that? <laughs> it really did, where Pantoja took Marino's body hostage. That's what it changed to, and it was brilliant. It won the title for him. And it, 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 we wanted it to continue being a shootout. Yeah, we did. But Pantoja just wanted the title. And he got a takedown. And he held the position for most of the round, negating the early advantage that I thought Marino had striking. And like I said, it was a brilliant last round by Pantoja, controlling the geography. I always talk about the geography, <laughs> how important it is, who controls the geography that makes sense for their skill sets. <laughs> and um, these are two well-rounded guys. They're both good on the mat. They're both good striking. But it made sense for Pantoja to control that geography and it got him the title. And um, here's an interesting caveat. The great Dominic Cruz, and he is great, he's still fighting. He explained to me, you can always learn, especially when you're in a new universe. You know, striking is my life. Boxing is my life. But not the other intricacies on the mat. And I'm learning. And I'm open to learning. So I was all ears when the great Dominic Cruz explained to me the difference and that fifth round was the wrestling skills of Pantoja, which allowed him to get... They're both good with jiu-jitsu, but the wrestling skills allowed him to get the takedown so he could then use his jiu-jitsu to main control, maintain control. And you know what? I related it immediately to my sport, to boxing. I said, oh, in other words, it's about a delivery system which I always talk about. In my sport, you have to have a delivery system. It don't matter how good a punch you are. <laughs> you have to have a delivery system to get that punch to the target, whether it's a jab, whether it's, a, whether it's making a miss, whether it's setting a trap. <laughs> you have to have a delivery system to be able to get that talent, that power to, the, to where you want to get it. And his delivery system was the wrestling. It, was, it, was, it opened my eyes to a whole different world. It, 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 it really, it really, it did. You know, when all of a sudden you see a sunset. Wow, I, I never saw that sunset before. That's spectacular. I had never thought of it in that way. And then immediately it made sense. Yeah, delivery system. Where he used his wrestling to get him close enough to use his jiu-jitsu where he could then control the pace, slow it down, and maintain control, even though the fans might not have loved it after having you know, the firefight for four rounds, and get that title, secure that title. It, it really, it's exactly what it was. Cruz was right. And I was right the way I parlayed it in my head to something that I, I was comfortable with. Uh, he just used the delivery system. And, um, and then, of course, you know, he, he got it. He, he got it. That won him the, that won him the fight. And, and the thing for me was that was the one round that I think was easier to score because even though it wasn't the fire round and the, and the sensation around the others were, it was a round where there was one guy in control. So it was easier to see that, yeah, um, if you had it even going in, 
if you did, then Pantoja took it in that round. And either way, it was a close fight. But you, everything that you would want in champions was there in a title fight. Everything that should be. Skills, talent, will. And then afterwards, pure unadulterated, as you touched on, unadulterated emotion by Pantoja. And he shared... He shared it with the people that he does this for, that, you know, he suffers for. I mean, these guys suffer and obviously risk. And he shared it with his family. And it was so beautiful. It was, like I said about the other moments during the night, it was like, it was like reading a wonderful book or watching a great movie, you know, of, about triumph, uh, you know, in life. It, it just, you just couldn't script it better. And for me, I, I'll say it in this way, you're going to laugh, but what he's put together, all the people with UFC that do this, Dana White, of course, the head guy, he, for me, when you see that, he's like a Francis Ford Coppola or Martin Scorsese. You know, he's like a great director who puts together these stories and puts them on a stage. You know, maybe not on a on a flat screen, but on on a octagon screen, where we can we can witness all these things week in and week out, week in and week out, uh, and and just be able to be touched by these these moments, uh, greatness. You know, and and just at the end of it. Um, fierce competition, savage competition, but then pure emotion. And uh, I just didn't understand the boos that were coming. I understand that there was a lot of Marino fans, but at the end of the day, no matter who you're a fan of, I, you just have to respect both and appreciate, just appreciate what they gave you, what they put out there, yeah. what they poured out there, and, and the human moment. To just be able to appreciate, and and there was again one fly in the ointment that we that we talk about too often. That's why we got the petition up to get a national commission. Um, a horrible judge named Ben Cartlidge, and I'm going to call him out. I, I I think he's a relative of John Dillinger. Um, he, <laughs> he, he, I mean, he not only had it four to one for Marino. That's bad enough. That's bad enough. But how does he give the fifth round, you know, to Marino? As I just said, that was the easiest, clearest round of all to score. So anyway, um, just great. I know we got to get to the Volkanovski fight now, uh, which uh, uh, can you imagine? That's the main event. But you go through these fights we just went through (laughs) to get to that. I mean... Uh, that's that's, that's like saying that's like saying I'm gonna I'm gonna go and you know uh, I'm gonna go climb Mount Everest, but before I do it, I'm gonna go over the Rockies. I'm gonna go over <laughs> Mount whatever Olympus. I'm gonna go over you know uh, what's that great mountain in Washington State? Um, uh, what was that? I know Great the Atlas. Joey. Yeah, McKinley. I got to put in the Atlas Mountains. I mean, you're going to go <laughs> over all those as prelims, as warm-ups to yep. get to 
to get to Mount Everest. I mean, yeah, it's well, it's pretty crazy. Vogue, Vogue certainly looked to be on top of Mount Everest on Saturday night. He looked unbelievable. He took Yair Rodriguez apart, broke him down slowly, and in the third round when he finished him, I mean, just complete and total domination. Uh, was very competitive on the feet. Obviously, Yair Rodriguez striking is incredible, but as soon as Volk got him on the ground, he just literally mauled him the entire time he had him down. Uh, Rodriguez had some moments on his feet, but Volk is, I, the guy is so tough. I mean, you, you got to have, it's like I was saying, we, we've discussed before, in, in, in today's MMA at the top level, you have to be a master at all disciplines, kickboxing, boxing, wrestling, and jiu-jitsu. Without all of them, you're just never going to get to the top, and Volk has at all and showed that against Rodriguez gets the third round stoppage and uh, the train keeps rolling for Volk how'd you like it he's more than just tough yeah they're all tough he's tough but he's cerebral he's smart he's buttoned up in every area he's a guy he's short in stature but that's the only place he's short because he's big everywhere else and the short stature (laughs) um, the lack of being tall doesn't hurt him one iota <laughs> because he's so good at controlling range. That's where the cerebral, where the technique, <laughs> where I say being so so buttoned up in so many areas, he's more than just tough. He, he has his toughness when he needs it, but he's got all the other elements too. <laughs> he, he never gets controlled outside by a taller, longer guy. He's got long arms, long arms than people would ever think. Um, but also, he controls range. He steps in and steps out of range, where if you're taller and longer than him, he, he don't let you use that advantage because he'll, he'll get slightly out where you can't use it, and if you try to use it, you're going to reach into him, and then he's going to do something, like counter you, like he did at the end. So he gets out of range, even though he's short, and then he gets in range uh, beautifully. And he is, he is so well-rounded, and he is so physically strong, so f- mentally strong. I didn't realize until Dominic Cruz told me he was a rugby player. He looks like a rugby player, strong, physical, yeah. country strong. Not strong because he was in a you know gym, a gold's gym lifting weights, but naturally strong from living that kind of life, whether it's on a farm or whatever. But those rugby players are country strong, real, real deep strength um, that that you can recognize as soon as they put their hands on you. <laughs> and he has that country strongness to him. He was a rugby player. They're tough. They have to be smart too. Um, and I didn't realize until Dominic told me this guy used to be like 230 pounds. He shrunk himself <laughs> yeah. down. Yep. And that's, that's one of the reasons why. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary. But that's one of the reasons why, Ken, he's so strong. And he has an advantage over everybody at that weight class where he's just physically stronger. But again, that wouldn't be enough if he didn't match it with all the other components, all the other elements. That's right. Uh, and he... Geography. Again... It's a battle of geography. Who controls the geography they need to control to give them the best chance <laughs> to use their skill sets, to nullify <clears throat> the other guys, to win the fight? And many thought going into this, even though Volkanovski rightfully so was the favorite, 
Many thought Rodriguez would give Volkanovski some real problems. Real problems. Because of his style, his abilities to do so many things well. <laughs> Strike with his hands and kicks. He's extraordinary with that, Rodriguez. And he's difficult to deal with. So dimensional. But so is Volkanovski. He's so solid everywhere. No weaknesses. Striking on a map. On a mat, and he controls, as I said, distance so well that he made it his fight. He nullified, he negated the ability for Rodriguez to have a chance to win where he didn't give him space, where he could use his great kicking abilities, his, his striking, his legs to move and get angles and come at you in unexpected ways. He didn't allow an environment for that at all. He, he controlled the range, and then he got him to the mat. He took him, he, he got in close, you know, he took him to the mat. He got him to the geography that, again, would take away his ability to be dangerous in the realm that he's dangerous, Rodriguez, you know, Outside, he got him in there the first two rounds. Uh, he, he, controlled the, he controlled those rounds. He, uh, he, he made it his fight. He made it a fight that only he could win, quite frankly. And he's got something else that really, again, it, it's, it's like having a, if you had a great house, and then you reinforce it with steel. And it's hard to break through or dent that. You're not going to take that house down. <laughs> He's got this great house that's reinforced with steel. And the steel is what Costamano used to talk about. Supreme confidence. Where very few people have that. Cus told me he only saw two fighters. Muhammad Ali and Sugar Ray Robinson. <laughs> that had that. That they really believed that nobody could beat him. Volkanovski has that. And, and that's hard to get through when, you, when he has everything else. It really is. And um, so he won the first two rounds. As Again, he won the battle of geography. So smart. And Rodriguez needed a fast start in this fight, Ken. That, that was his chance. He's explosive. You know, he's a loose cannon, talented where he's unpredictable. And he didn't, he didn't give him that fast start. Volkanovski immediately made sure that he didn't get out of the driveway. Forget about getting on the highway. He said he wants a fast start. Okay, I'm not going to let him idle his engine in the freaking driveway. And he got him to the mat. And as I said, he took away Rodriguez's main weapons. And he got caught a great counter right hand in the second round coming in to get him to the mat. And he ate it like it was an M&M. I mean, it was unbelievable. Ken, I don't know if you saw that. He ate his yeah, right hand counter, Ken, in the second round. Now, look, he's a strong guy. He's got no neck. A part of the shock absorber is your neck. He, he's so yeah. strong. He's like a cylinder. I mean, he, he, he's like a cement block with, with shorts on. You know what I mean? I mean, that's what this guy, <laughs> yeah. that's what he's got to feel like to people. Two, what are you going to do with a cement block with shorts on? It's hard. 
It's hard, especially when he's coming at you. Not to mention the cannonball head that he smashed Rodriguez with that I can't believe Rodriguez's chin, that he didn't get knocked out or dropped by that. That was extraordinary, too, uh, for Rodriguez, to be quite honest, to give him some credit in that area. But he takes the right hand, Volkanovski, um, like nothing, and that had to discourage Rodriguez a little bit. He catches him a beautiful counter right hand, and the guy the guy doesn't even like burp he doesn't even sneeze you know he just he just keeps coming um like i said he's so compact so strong uh and he he takes him he takes him to the mat he wins the first three rounds uh and then in the third round after controlling the first two rounds rodriguez finally got distance that he needed to be able to use his legs striking attacks, but Volkanovski didn't allow him to score anything substantial because, again, he controlled distance so well that even when he wasn't getting any offensive traction, he was defensively responsible, and he wasn't allowing Rodriguez to get any offensive traction by controlling range and biding his time. And then what's he do? I don't know if you caught this, Ken, but he switches southpaws simultaneously to counter with a right hook as Rodriguez came in. And he drops him, hurts him, um, and then Volkanovski knew what to do. He knows how to finish. He didn't hesitate. He immediately took him to the ground. He ended it. He's so great. He's so technically technical, strong, cerebral, supremely confident what what is that four things i just mentioned he's the fantastic four he's the fantastic four uh he he truly is and um the crazy thing about it he keeps getting better that's the scary thing that's what's scary about it he keeps getting better and his attitude is is part of the reason uh and he'll continue to 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 generate that kind of growth because of that attitude. Because you know what he said afterwards um, uh, to Megan? And she does a tremendous job. As John Anik, I said, all those guys do an unbelievable job. Uh, uh, and and she, she's, she's superb. But she was telling me that he said after the fight to her that because she asked him, what do you want now? And he said, and this is why he's going to continue growing. He said he wants new faces and new challenges. You know, he wants new mountains to climb. That's why he's going to keep getting better, you know, with that attitude. He, he's not, you know, he's not sitting back on his laurels. <laughs> you know, he's not treading water. He's swimming towards something. There's another island out there. He, he, you, we might not see it. He sees it, and he's swimming towards it. So, anyway, uh, tremendous night. Uh, even though I got stuck at the airport, and you got stuck out there too, and I, and I'm I hoping I don't it. get stuck at the airport in the next two hours because it's well, they're saying that I keep getting uh, weather updates uh, from Delta saying maybe delayed. Oh, well, I can't take it. Welcome to the club, and I hope that you're not. I hope you're not in that club. I no, hope you I get hope home, not. get home safely. But um, it was a tremendous night. I'm glad you guys were with me. I'm glad my son was with me. My daughter-in-law was with me. Um, but you guys uh, 
being with me was really it was really nice uh again nothing but compliments to the to charlie monahan and and to um cheyenne who's his uh oh, she's great she's tremendous yeah. she she really is she's she's great they all are his other assistant that does the camera stuff with him ray uh he's terrific they they all are. it's a it's it's a great team uh and like i said you you go to a restaurant yeah you want the food to be good but you want the surface you want the atmosphere you want the yeah. you know, hospitality to be there and you get that you really get that and i'm not saying you don't get it with with people in boxing too you 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 get it uh, if you get the right people but you definitely have that uh in in this particular um uh, you know with with this with with this machine called the UFC, uh, they 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 got it covered pretty good. Yep, and one thing I always take, even when the food is good at the restaurant, and I have it with me now, is my Athletic Greens. Go to athleticgreens.com/slash/atlas and get ten free travel packs with your first purchase. I've got my travel packs with me per usual. It's the one thing that usually keeps me healthy when I'm on the road. Make sure I get all my vitamins, nutrients, and minerals. Athletic Greens has 75 whole food source ingredients. Make sure you get everything you need. It's the one thing that I constantly travel with. If you can only take one supplement, make it Athletic Greens. Athleticgreens.com slash Atlas for all your health and wellness needs. Teddy, good one. Thanks for doing this. Apologize for the terrible background no, here no. in the hotel in no, Vegas. No, it's not terrible at all. I mean, there's, there's nothing... Terrible. I mean, you even made your bed. That's beautiful. <laughs> I, made, wow. I made it. So I Who makes their bed in a hotel? <laughs> Sam. The only see what Sam just said. He said only Ken ride out. Wow. I didn't want to look like a slob. And well, and you probably and you probably made it at like five in the morning after you did twenty two miles uh, in the desert, right? Or I something did like get that. up and running. My God, it's so damn hot here. Rob and I did ten miles yesterday over in UNLV, all through the campus, just desperately looking for shade. Anytime we could find shade, we'd run back and forth under the trees or next to a building. Yeah, I did my miles this morning already. I did get up super early to do it, so we could get the show in. So I hope everyone enjoys it. And uh, it was we'll 104 when I got there the other yep. day. It was 104. It was mild. It was a mild day because <laughs> the week before it was 118. So mm -hmm. it was a mild. It was a little mild. You know, it was getting a little yep. chilly. But That's right. um, I I had to get up really early one morning for for ESPN to do my hits, and I checked the weather because I was thinking about you. I said when Ken is out of here, he's going to run in the morning. So I wanted to see. Oh, it's going to be cool in the morning. And it was like I think it was like. 5.30 in the morning, whatever it was, it was like 85 degrees. I was like, 85 <laughs> degrees at like 5 in the morning? I the mean. people are looking at me like I'm insane. Everyone in the cars, I said to Rob, I was like, you know something I realized? I haven't seen another person outside except us. <laughs> because <laughs> there's not that's the, part of the course. Yeah, because there's only so many crazy people. And, you know, <laughs> and, uh, listen, God that's bless it. you. Have a safe trip back. All right. And, um, and I'll see you, you know, I'll see you soon because we're going to do a we'll great fight plan. Yeah, yep. we'll do a great fight plan for Spence and Crawford and do a great episode for the people for next week, breaking that fight down. I'm sure they're anxious to, to talk about that fight because, you know, sure. they've, been, they've been salivating. The fans have been yeah. salivating. The good, exactly. I'll leave it with this. The good thing about Spence Crawford, it's not five years too late. 
I know Crawford's getting up there a little bit, but he's still got plenty of pl- plenty of uh, miles to go on those, yeah. uh, plenty of tread on the tires, plenty of tread on that's the tires, right. and it's not five years too late like Pacquiao and Mayweather was. So that's that that that's the most important part of this matchup. Yep, that's right. So look for that. We'll Teddy, I'll see you Friday, and uh, guys, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for being with us. Have a great week, everyone.